0: board game binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Stephen Schwartz, a game designer behind the current Kickstarter campaign for Slash and Spells. Stephen, along with Floyd Liu, form Burning Forge Games. Stephen, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing, sir?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me on, James. Pleasure to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. Uh, So I I just want to start off. I mean, you are a a newer designer, I guess, because this is your first campaign on Kickstarter. Um, I I always love to get into people's stories and kind of figure out, like, you know, what were you doing before this game design? How did you get into it? Kind of with your day job. I want to jump into all of this. So starting off, um, how did you first get into board gaming? Have you been board gaming for a long time, or is this something more recent? Or
1: I think uh, since I was a little kid. I mean. I think it it got established really, really early on my uh my family was super big on monopoly, clue, battleships, you name it, all sorts of different types of board games, Scrabble. We were just like a board game family in the sense that like you know whenever you know the night would hit and people were looking for something fun to do, we'd pick up some board games, and that got me kind of started off you know down the road of just being very passionate and loving board games. And then, you know, I played a lot of magic, the gathering growing up mm. and was very nerdy in the sense that, you know, I love Warhammer 40 K and then played a lot of video games. And so those things are very like adjacent to each other. Um, so as, as I got older, I started playing Catan and then broke out into more, more complicated board games. And then, you know, now I kind of got into the hobby. Uh, it was kind of one of those things. It's like, Oh, it'd be really cool to, you know, make a board game, uh, because we used to have a board game night at at an old house that I used to have with a couple roommates after I graduated college. We used to have board game nights and bring out everything Flux and you name it, just different board games, throw them all together and just play uh, card games, board games. And so I just thought, oh, it would be really cool to make a player versus player kind of combat game. And I ended up making like a really like kind of crappy prototype. This is like five years ago. And just kind of that kind of, always stayed with me that, you know, would be really cool to make a game like this where you can just kind of pick up and play. There's like some level of complexity there. There's a lot of character asymmetry, a lot of fun kind of uh, abilities and different things you could do. And I think around three years ago, I started kind of putting some of the pieces together to start working on it. Hmm. Uh, I had an old coworker who kind of let me know like, oh, there's like this thriving community on Kickstarter for board games. And like yeah. people like you who have an idea like this could make it happen, and that's when I kind of put the puzzle together and was like, maybe I can do this.
0: Maybe I can. Maybe I can,
1: yeah. you know, launch a game on Kickstarter and make this thing a reality. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got started thinking about it, and that kind of led me to, you know, going to a local board game meetup. Uh, here in the Bay Area. I'm, I'm based out of San Jose and we used to have these local game meetups and we still do. They just changed location because our old fateful Mountain View game castle uh, went under during the pandemic, unfortunately, but that's usually where we, we had gone. Uh, and that's when I got introduced to uh, the local crew. You know, there's, uh, there's Velgus, there's, you know, John Brieger from Breer Creative, Michael Dunsmore, lots of local designers. And one of those designers was Floyd Liu, who's my co-designer on this project. And so he actually saw some of the your earlier stages of design and development as we were, I was kind of building it on my own, trying to learn, you know, everything about designing a board game, everything about, you know, player interaction, as well as like, you know, how to build a, a fun, curve of your game development where you know the characters grow and there's a lot of like fun interaction as you improve them uh because that was like a core concept that had been you know sort of something that i learned along the way is uh, the why the how of designing a fun game that from nuts and bolts is let me jump be something in here so enjoy
0: just to take a step back where did you, yeah. you take in college?
1: <laughs> oh, so, uh, I uh, went to Sonoma State uh, did my GE there mm-hmm. was on the rowing team uh, you know had a great time uh, minored in psychology then That's... transferred down to San Jose State which is kind of a local school here uh, majored in entrepreneurship um, just really loved tech companies and startups mm-hmm. and was always a huge nerd that way where I just kind of like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and just thought people who are creating new things were awesome and yeah. I wanted to kind of find a way to Create things myself, uh, and so after I graduated, I ended up in sales. Uh, half my family's in sales. No, that's good for whatever reason. My mom's an accountant, but uh, my dad's been in sales forever. And so for for myself, it was kind of a, a way to get better at running a business because yeah. I found that everyone who you know ran businesses or owned businesses had some sort of sales skills. Uh, and it was something that I thought, you know, would be a good fit for me to, you know, get out there and you know, be able to talk and communicate with people. Because like I said, I was kind of nerdy growing up. And so communication was not necessarily like something I was very good at. I was very shy as a kid. yeah. Uh, so it kind of broke that part of me. <laughs> so now I'm, you know, much better communicating with people of all, you know, shapes and sizes and different places from all over the world. So I always that, talk to that people
0: that uh, say, you know, oh, you know, they talk about sales, like it's a bad word. Right.
1: Oh, and yeah. it can at be the, at the
0: end. Well, it can be. I think it there, I think there could be dark sides to any industry. Oh, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we're we're all in sales, right? When oh, you are trying to convince somebody to do something, you're selling, right? Something as simple oh, as yeah. trying to decide, okay, what movie we're we gonna watch tonight? Well, guess what? You're selling, right? <laughs> what, oh, yeah. What board game are we gonna play tonight? We got six games to play, and there's one you want to play. Guess what? You're selling, selling people on uh which game mm. you're gonna play that night. So there's different iterations of that, but I think that sales is something that inherently is a great skill set to have, right? Because it's so transferable really to any industry. Then you're just talking widgets, right? Whether you're selling industrial supplies or you're selling um, services or, or you're selling board games, right? It's all just widgets, right? It's the same approach. It's just different industries that you're selling widgets in. So, uh, I think that's kind of cool. It's something I'm sure you can probably leverage quite a bit in your day-to-day approach, even on something like developing a board game. Whether it be talking to your manufacturers, right, and trying to convince them on I, I need better costing, right, or on how you're specking out, um, you know, various retailers maybe to carry your game afterwards. You're trying to get retailers to profile your game before you launch. All this is involved in, uh, you know, exercising those skills. So I think that's uh, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. No, I, I think kind of getting into that that space has just been eye-opening. I think one of the things that I'm most passionate about when it comes to that is just helping people. Um, yeah. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but at the end of the day, everything should be like an obvious good fit. Otherwise, people don't need it.
0: Yeah, so. The cool thing with the <laughs> board game industry is I find that there is a an overwhelming desire for people to try to help other people right? It is.
1: It's been wonderful.
0: And Chandler Copenhaver, and I'll give him the plug from, uh, from backer kit. uh, He, he coined the term, I don't know if it was his or not, but he's the first time I heard someone say it is coopetition, right? Mm. So in any other industry, your competitors, you wouldn't be talking to saying, how can we make this industry bigger and better? And, you know, how can we just keep making the pie big? You're focused on your own little slice. Right. And this is the one industry where I think that you have people actively trying to pay it forward, actively trying to help people out. I mean, look at, I'm looking at, um, you know, even your Kickstarter page, I can see the video was done by Ori Kagan, right? From Kagan productions. Great, Great, great guy. Super cool dude. He Hello. reached out to me uh, on, I uh, posted a, a, a video, right? So it was kind of a, a draft video we did because we were trying to get our campaign page kind of set up. And if anybody's done a Kickstarter, you got to kind of create the page before they give you your your preview link, right? Your link that you can send to mm-hmm. people saying, follow us. Well, you can't get that link until you actually create the page. So we want to create a video to do as a stand-in. And we use an AI generated voice. And I mean, I'm sure I'll do a video at some point on how to create a video cheaply, but- you know, he reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, uh, I, I know it's got an AI generated voice. Let me know if you need help you know, finding, uh, you know, voiceovers or, you know, uh, and he was very complimentary on, Hey, you know, if, if, if you're ever going to use stock video, this is the way to do it, you know, to, to, uh, to, uh, do a campaign. So it was nice, right. It was a community, right. Of people reaching out, just, just touching base saying, Hey, how are you doing? And, you know, I hope you're doing okay. And, uh, you know, even before we went on the air, we talked a little bit about different people in the industry where. Um, they inspire us, right? And oh, yeah. uh, you know, and you look to them and say, wow, you know what? If there's any industry to be in, man, this is, this is the one, right? It is it is such a love it's fest. It is, it is crazy. Who would you say were some of the influences you had coming into this industry? Like, I'm sure you did a lot of research ahead of time. We'll talk a little bit uh, about your uh, your partner as well that's helped you with this campaign because I want to give him some props and maybe you can talk about some of the stuff he did. But sure. outside of him, who has uh, comes with a lot of experience on his own, what what are some of the influences you had in the industry? So who are some of the people that maybe you kind of look to when uh, you're getting into this?
1: Oh, it's crazy. So, I mean, going back to that community-driven thing, I, I can't even name the amount of people who have even helped me in just a small way to a massive way. People who have, you know, checked in with me to help about game mechanic questions, optimizing component lists, giving me information about how to manage manufacturers, you know, giving me ideas for how to go to market, marketing, information on, you know, how to run a Kickstarter. There's so many things that the community has been very giving with. And I try to return the favor and try to help people. And, you know, cause we're all, we're all learning together. This is a passion project for me. I just want to see it into the world. I want to bring more fun to people's tables. You know, that's the goal behind why I'm doing this, why we spent so much time and effort and love into building something like this. Um, so paying it forward is huge for me, but to, to answer your question, though, about who's helped me, and, you know, I'm going to give you a laundry list of tons of people, but, you know, um, I think I first, I went to my first board game convention, I saw Luke Laurie, uh, mm. and he was building Dwellings of Rail. So we'll start there. Yeah, that's cool. um, and I tested it before I had any art or anything in it, and it was unbelievable. It was a really great experience, but I think what really stood out to me is just how hard he was working on it and how keenly he was focused on individual mechanics optimization how quickly he you know made decisions about what things he was focused on us testing but then you know he, he was great and all, he's an inspiration more so than necessarily a coach he comes in and and, and saw us at a recent con and just pat us on the back and encouraged us and you know he's just a really excellent role model and great guy too. Uh, and I guess kind of a bit of a mentor as well. Um, and then, so John Brieger, you know, he was hosting all these game nights. So uh, he was doing these design meetups. So I would play test a bunch of other designers' games, kind of get a feel for it, and then watch them do the, the feedback section. And, you know, just having him just be available to give good feedback on so what things are working what things he's worried about you know all that stuff's just really insightful great great to just be able to even just watch him work um you know there's uh there's velgus there's michael dunsmore those are local designers to me and so they're kind of always there to take a look and play test and give me feedback and also just talk shop because they live it they live it every day that that's their you know kind of full-time gig and so it's good to have people like that around you but then then there's the online community people that i haven't met in person yet i mean eric giller from quest and cannons has been an inspiration Mm. he works exceedingly hard on his campaign he's just a like a super good guy and he's always trying to learn and always trying to share like feedback and just he's just like he's just like a true friend even though we don't really like have like a relationship in person it's yeah. all over the internet um so he's an inspiration but you know there's also you know john de campos which worked on a project with floyd in the past and i played this in his game token terrors and just a lot of the other newer designers act as like this great kind of community i know Wes woodbury has been an inspiration for me yeah, for all the games to, he's yeah. published and he's yeah. just such a amazing human being uh, so positive and just hardworking as well so to answer your question there's hundreds of people i've got it, i think you kind of nailed of it on the people. head about <laughs>
0: uh, about that kind of virtual friendships right um, oh yeah i mean i'd look at uh, mike brunner for example who's the producer of the podcast he and I have never met in person It has only been online and through zoom. And, you know, in a digital space, we're just in two different countries in the past couple of years, some stuff's been happening as people know, (laughs) we just kept kept people from traveling. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure we'll meet in person someday at one of these, uh, one of these cons, but, uh, but I consider him a good buddy, right? He's a good buddy. We've never met each other in person. So I I think that's awesome. You know, that you've been able to build all these friendships and uh, in these influences. Um, which is taking you to launch uh, a game. And so let's talk a little bit about this game. So Slash and Spells. So the idea you say came up with this, I think you said about three years ago when you started really- Yes, started putting on the pieces it, right?
1: together and starting the process of building this thing.
0: Now, when when you created this game, um, how much did it take from kind of the inception of, okay, here's, here's mechanically how the game works, right? And then now getting- proper artists to do the artwork for it and starting getting things mapped out. So it looks like an actual game that you could buy off a shelf. How was that the three-year process for you?
1: Yeah, it yeah. was definitely a three year process for me because one, <laughs> you know, art takes a lot, a lot of time for it to get done. Yeah. There's art direction, there's lots of back and forth, getting all the pieces together. Then there's the graphic design side of things. So once you have the illustrations, like sometimes you have to find a separate graphic designer to put all the pieces together. Yeah. And that's a nice process as well. And, you know, obviously, like, if you're coming into this having not had a background in you know creative direction, art direction, you have to learn that. Thank God I had a, uh, a teacher Thanks, Ms. McGlynn. In high school, we had a computer science class. And besides playing Halo once we finished all our projects, uh, we actually learned how to use Photoshop that's and Adobe awesome. InDesign. And we yeah. actually built like very rudimentary websites back then. Um, and to this day, you know, that's probably the easiest, and best skill that I've ever learned in high school, including all of math classes, history classes, English classes, just because it's been critical for getting this game off the ground managing it just because within design data merge you can just create all your cards in a go you know have all the assets there you can edit them it's been it's been absolute windfall but to go back to your question and and kind of highlight some of the points there about the design the design has been iterative for the Mm. whole process because the way that we look at it is there's always a better game that you could make Uh, even if it's just a tiny baby tweak here little thing there i mean eventually at the call it a finished project and done. But, you know, over the period of time, we've evolved certain things, but the core overarching kind of like concept has remained kind of focused on, you know, this is a player versus player combat game focused on heroes that are deeply asymmetric, that have cool powers, cool cards, cool abilities that you can pick up and play, but have a lot to them. There's a lot of fun. There's different paths you can go down. It really is like really fun to play because you get to kind of create your hero. They have Mm -hmm. three different unique paths. One's a control path for each character that ties into the relics that they collect. Then there's a power path that's more focused on dealing damage directly and and pushing that side of things. And then there's a growth path, which kind of synergizes with the other two and works towards a long-term goal for that character. But all these are asymmetrical powers that have like a unique kind of ability that none of the other characters have. And so from a design perspective, each one is like kind of picking up and playing a different game. We've got like these nice core systems that all of them share so that whenever you pick up a new character, it's not completely foreign to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some similarities, but there's enough going on in the asymmetry where it's really fun because you can build teams or you can just do free for all.
0: I'm going to share my screen a second. We're going to show people the game, but before we get there, I want to roll the tape back here a second on two things specifically. One that uh, that you you kind of touched on, but I think it's important for people listening who maybe have not caught every single episode that we've done. Um, But I'll go back to the episode we had with Sarah Keel, who is a very, very talented uh, illustrator. And, uh, but she's also a, a graphic designer, right? Those are different roles, Right. And it's it's amazing uh, the number of people that I talk to that say, Oh, I need to find a graphic guy. Well, a graphic guy could be one of like four different things. So, you know, try to think of a, whatever industry that the listener is in. So, take even like marketing or sales or take even engineering. Those are all very gen- general terms that cover many, many different jobs. Right. And in artwork is very, is very similar to that. So an artist or an illustrator is a person that's actually drawing, right? That's creating something from their brain where they're, 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 they're creating a picture. But they're not necessarily the one that's going to template that out and make sure your card layout and everything is is properly done. And, you know, put your little icon in the bottom right-hand corner and your point value in the top left-hand corner and all these kind of things. That is a graphic designer. A graphic designer will do the the templates, the layouts, and have the graphics kind of um, come together on, on, on your pieces. But the actual... Characters and so forth. That's an illustrator, right? That that. So those are two different roles, and often I don't think we highlight that enough when when we're when we're talking to people, right? So I'm glad we touched on that. The other one is when you said we got to call it, and I think that's a great term to say. You know what? It's almost like uh, you see an ER, right? It's like ah, we got to call it, right? We got to call it, and it's so true that I don't know any game designer that is ever happy with where they're at on their game they always want to do something more they always think there's there's something else that i can do and at some point you got to stick that stake in the sand and say you know what we're going to call it's it done. we're going to, at this point we're, we're going to launch what we have here and then uh, and i think it was when we were doing the isle of cats um uh interview uh and his, his name is now uh i apologize i can't remember the uh, the, the designer's name um but he was saying that you know, he had these ideas of things he wanted to actually, no, it wasn't that it was, uh, we we're talking Honeybuzz. Oh, Honeybuzz. Honey Buzz. Yeah. We we're talking about Honeybuzz the second interview. And, and, uh, and what he was saying was, um, you know, he had all these ideas he'd come up with on ways to enhance the game. And the way he dealt with it is he said, like, you know what? I put a stake in the sand and say, in, in the sand and say, okay, my game is going come to this point point, I'm going to launch that. And then for expansions and other things I'm working on, that'll be kind of after that point in, 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 the sand. Right. So these other ideas I have, I'm going to save them now for the add-ons and the second iteration and so forth of the game, but I have to have a game that is straightforward enough that people get it. Whereas if I put too much in, it could be overwhelming. Right. So um it, it's kind of cool to hear from these other these other designers and kind of how they approach things but you have these oh, common yeah. themes across the board so i digress let's jump into slash and spells so i've got on my screen for people who are watching either live or on the replay so talk to us about this game so you've already said it's an asymmetric game it is uh like a fantasy battle i guess is the best way to character battle oh, yeah, the yeah. best way to describe it i think now the number of characters again was it did i hear somewhere is like 16 it's, it's a large number right how many characters can it's you not
1: 16 but it's six That's uh six it's characters. six characters and but they have three paths each
0: That's what I and okay. so
1: you can mix and match the paths and so okay. essentially within those six characters there's a lot of depth like we would have loved to have added more than six characters yeah. uh we have a seventh character uh that might have been revealed by the campaign uh but the six characters that we have that are the core characters, mm-hmm. what what's going on underneath the hood that makes them really special is every, every character has what we call a hero board, yeah. which is kind of where they store their attributes. So every character has different attributes. Attributes could be health, their base movement speed, as well as, you know, their starting energy. And then also their might, which ties into their basic attack. This game is a pure action, action selection game with card play. Yeah. So there's a lot of action selection elements to it. It's very much kind of like chess, but with card play. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of fluidity in there uh, because it, it can feel very tactile sometimes where you take an action, and set up something and then play some cards, and then all the systems tie together because of that action selection to create a nice balance within everything. The card play itself is super unique because of the asymmetry of that. So Mm -hmm. of the um, three different paths, I kind of highlighted that it's a control path, a power path, and a growth path, right? And so each character might have, you know, for our warlock Felifar, he has a uh, the void path, which ties into his voidling, uh, token. And that voidling can allow him to swap contents of two spaces with between him and the voidling. So you can pull players to you. You can move to the space of the voidling. You can move relics with you. You can move your tokens. You can move your, your teammates tokens. You can move your opponents tokens. And so that's, that's just one path for him. So that's the voidling control path that allows him to control the field now, but in that there's 18 cards per character. And of those 18 cards, there's six that are control, six that are power and six that are growth. And each one of these cards has unique art and it has a unique ability tied into that. So how many pieces of art
0: is there all together? Like how many, because there's a lot, right? So I don't want to skip over that. Like how much, how much art is in this? How many unique pieces?
1: We got 145 plus unique pieces of art. Yeah. So there's a lot of unique art. Uh, in this game. And it's beautiful. Um, we spent a lot of time really
0: and money. dialing
1: and sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> that definitely is uh, part of it. You know, to get good art, you have to spend money and, you know, we take not care cheap. of our artists and, you know, we yeah. love him. He's a great guy. And honestly, he's been with us, you know, working on this project for the whole timeline. So he's yeah. a really awesome human being. And, you know, the it's art been, is cool. A friendship. I mean, people
0: like fantasy. It, it is, it is awesome. Like it's not like, even like I'm showing some of the character images on the, uh, on, on the, the page here. And it's not like you've got this kind of like a character with like no background. Like there's, there's backgrounds on most of these cards. Right. And I mean, for someone that has specced out art in the past, um, you know, there's different levels of art that you can get done. And usually illustration, if you're doing characters, illustrations, you know, the, the most economical way to do it, quite frankly, is just to get the character with just some kind of like gradient behind them. Right. Solid, like a, like a gradient color behind them, but for them to actually illustrate, you know, thematic backgrounds behind each of the cards too. Like you can tell that you guys put a lot of time and effort into developing that, which is, which is crazy good. And then that also flows into your standees and I'm showing these standees as well, which look super cool, um, are oh, they yeah. double-sided these standees as well? Like I can't tell from the actual page, but like, are, is there art on both sides of them or how does that work?
1: There is art on both sides of them. It is the same art on both sides right now. Got it. Could could be a stretch goal that we unlocked that there's different backside art, but for right now the standees have art on just one side mm-hmm. and that the way that they design them is that it's visible on both. So it's mm-hmm. printed on one and they print it on the inside of the other one. So that on mm-hmm. both sides you can see the character no matter what direction you're looking at it. So it's actually quite nice.
0: It's interesting when you want to double side those actually two different images, I believe you have to actually lay down a layer of like white in between to then print
1: on top of. That would make a lot of sense. The image, right? And then can you talk a little
0: bit about these holographic, I saw some holographic cards in here somewhere too, which look really, really cool. Oh yeah.
1: I got some right next to me, actually. I don't know if I I have this background.
0: I can see your face. And my lighting is,
1: is, Oh yeah. suboptimal. I apologize for the lighting right. in my situation, cool. but they're they're pretty brilliant. I mean, this is not going to really do it justice, but um they're really gorgeous. Uh and I'm super passionate about, you know, holographic cards growing up, you know, playing Pokémon, Magic the Gathering and all sorts of games. They just really add a lot of like beautiful specialness to to every game that they're in. Uh, and some, some of the things that we're trying to do there is add unique uh, alternative art for certain cards. So there'll mm-hmm. be some ar- alternative art for specific cards. So you can get the regular art and holographic, but you also get alternative art for some of the cards. Those are all going to be like Kickstarter exclusive as well. Uh, you'll see also the hero cards, the items, the encounters will also be holographic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to have a mix of mostly hero cards because everyone's going to be wanting those hero cards so they can yeah, make a course. whole unique deck out of all the holographic hero cards that they got. Um, but that that's the goal is to kind of have a beautiful mix of, you know, rare Kickstarter cards that you're going to be able to acquire their alternate art. And then some of the original ones that are really shiny and beautiful. So some as well. collectability there then as well. Oh, definitely. Some collectibility. These will never be printed again yeah. uh, just because we're just trying to make these a pure Kickstarter exclusive. Oh, that's cool.
0: And I gotta ask, did Ori did he do the uh your your gifts as well? Like, did he do the animated gifts?
1: Oh yeah, so those were taken from the video he made. Okay, and so those those gifts um uh, were made via his video. So and cool. so. I I might've done some of the gifts as well. He offered to do them, but I figured out a way to do them. So, uh, (laughs) those are, those are me. So it's not his work, but it is his work that created the gifts because it's taken directly out of the Kickstarter video that he did. And he did a phenomenal job on it. I mean, me and Floyd were blown away. He had done uh, Floyd's previous game, Koi Garden. Uh, and I've always wanted to work with him. I'd been talking to him a while back and, and telling him that, you know, once, once we got the Kickstarter, I'd be tapping his shoulder just because he does great work and you know he's a great human being as well. And he added a lot of value to, you know, the creative process and just yeah. in general, he's a, he's a wizard.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure, and KoiGuard, I mean, we, uh, that was everywhere not too long ago, too, right? So oh, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of lot coverage on that. I gotta ask. So, how did you create the uh, the gifts? Did you use like Photoshop or something? Did you dump the video into Photoshop? You no, know, and-
1: honestly, there's a I'm trying to remember. So Adobe has like an express wizard for creating the gifts where you can segment your video. You just upload your video, uh, and then you can segment the the time periods, yep. and then it's gonna export it in various different qualities. And then I think I used uh, this GIF optimizer to kind of, because once you do that out of the Adobe thing, the file size is just massive. Oh, they're ginormous, like, yeah. And you just can't put that on a Kickstarter page. So then I used, I forget the tool call is like GIF optimizer. If you just Google GIF optimizer, I think it's easy GIF or something. It's yeah. a free website where you can you know, uh, use the lossy uh, bar to yeah. lower the quality of it so that it can load faster because uh, I've seen some Kickstarter pages that had really good ones, like really high quality gifts, but the whole page took like three or four minutes for me to load. And by that time, you're moving on by that point, right? Exactly. It's not a great customer experience. So I'd rather them be able to see and digest what's happening on the video and have it be a tiny bit more grainy than I would personally like, but for it to load in a reasonable time so that they have an opportunity to ingest the information.
0: So what comes next after this campaign? So once this campaign is done, what's your plan?
1: So the game plan for the game is, you know, obviously like we've been having conversations with manufacturers and we've already like locked down our preferred manufacturer. We have a shipping fulfillment partner, but the next like couple months, I think probably like six months after, you know, the funding of the Kickstarter would be Essentially, we have some stretch goals that would be unlocked as mm-hmm. well as some final bits and pieces for art and tweaks and graphic design and having the editor go through everything. one More final pass, getting the files ready for printing with the manufacturer as well. We'll probably be doing a little bit more development um, just on just polishing up every little thing, putting it through some additional playtesting phases to see if we can find any you know, errors or bugs. We've already spent an exhaustive amount of time doing that. Yeah. But when you go to actually create the game, you really want to beat that into a pulp make sure there's nothing you know that you haven't missed even though we've had a lot of playtesting a lot of other designers who are published come in and, and playtest and try to break the game so yeah. for us it's it's more like finish up any remaining art you know 90 percent of all the art's basically done for this game so we don't have too much art to do which is great uh so it's mostly just Kind of getting everything ready for manufacturing, nice. uh, working with the manufacturer, scoping, getting uh, kind of the prototypes back from them, and then making sure that those are all good, refining some colors and stuff, making sure the files are in the format they need, send it back, keep going back and forth. And then at that point, we'd be ordering it, getting it on a boat, getting it out to the, the fulfillment partner and shipping it.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes of the podcast. Uh, They'll take you straight to the campaign. If people want to check out the campaign page, it'll be in the show notes. The game is called a slash and spells. If people want to follow burning forge games, how best do they do that?
1: Uh, So we have a, uh, we have a Kickstarter or Kickstarter page would be the primary way to go interact with us. That's our, uh, our game thing. But then additionally, we have both a Facebook page so we have a Facebook page for Slash and Spells, but I, I direct you to the group. Uh, so there's a group within that page. Uh, it's got like, 320 people basically on it right now mm-hmm. uh, where we post updates and that's the best way to get in front of us and help influence the game and you know, see what we're all doing. We additionally, we have a website, but I think uh, if you could go like burning forge games on, on Facebook, we just created that page for the publishing company. We also have a website, www.slashandspells.com or burning forge takes you to the same place. Uh, so those are a couple different places you can interact with us, uh, sign up for our mailing list, uh, to get updates, that'd be also highly encouraged. We can redirect you to the campaign page as well as you'll know, get feedback from you on, on uh, monthly updates that we do there as well.
0: Awesome. Steven, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man, and wish you all the best in this coming year. You take care. Uh,
1: thanks, Cheers. James. It's been a pleasure.
0: This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.